Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. We're in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And Bona, we are getting on to game four of the Stanley Cup Eastern Conference Final. Florida Panthers trying to put away the Carolina Hurricanes. And uh, it'll be the same in the Western Conference, Sat, as the Vegas Golden Knights beat the doors off the Dallas Stars. Yes. In what was an ugly affair in Dallas last yeah, night. Uh, very ugly. I don't know what was uglier, the players on the ice or the fans with, with stuff they chucked on the ice. So a, a very a very ugly scene in Dallas the other night. And I guess that's what happens when your team goes down 0-3 yeah. in a series. Tough look for the NHL right now in these conference finals. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, that the NBA has been much better, but I'll, still a tough look for the NHL. I was going to say, at least it's like Spider-Man meme <laughs> with the NBA. So it's like their competition in terms of, yeah. you know, head-to-head games. The Celtics won one, you know. I mean, and maybe tonight yes. we'll see somebody win and make it, you know, at least one. So problem is, like, these series have been so uh, lopsided. I guess, you know, Florida and, and Carolina, they've all been close games, you know, the, the long know, overtimes and I, that sort of thing. I will say, like, so there have been, what, six games so far yeah. in the conference finals? How many were bad games? Last just, night? Just last night, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, five out of the six games have actually been good, like good close hockey games. The series, however, have not been good because there's, there's only one team winning. Uh, and that's kind of what matters because yeah. that's when the intensity yeah. really starts to ramp up. And you know, it's not going to get any easier for the Dallas Stars, who last night saw Jamie Benn uh, essentially write their ticket as being eliminated because in the first minute he got the five-minute and a game for the cross check on Mark Stone, and he's now been suspended for two games. It's um, I I could not think of a more asinine play than what we saw from Jamie Ben last night. Like time, situation in the series, and that's what you're going and doing, taking your extra lick on Mark Stone by doing that, something that's going to very obviously get you kicked out of a game and probably suspended. If you're going to like take an extra lick at a guy, at least make it less obvious. And yeah. then to come out, well, to just you know skirt through and not talk to media after the game because, you know, oh, who wants to ta- answer some tough questions? Some kind of leader you are, Jamie Ben. That's an unbelievably soft move from Jamie Ben, what he did last night. And then he goes today and talks to media, probably because he got scolded for not talking to media yesterday. And it's like, oh, well, I fell over him and my stick just happened to land on his neck. That's how I was trying to get up. I mean, like, come on. What is this to dog ate your homework excuses of hockey? Uh, Like, is that what you went to NHL DPOS with? Like, oh, my my stick just happened to land on his neck. It's like that uh, guilty conscience song with Eminem. (laughs) If yeah. You know what? Yes. You know the lyrics I'm referencing. Yes, I, I do know. I do know what you <laughs> just slipped and fell. I mean, don't that, let that's your all kids look it up. I think it might be too late right now. Yeah. But nonetheless, <laughs> um, I, you know what it is. Jamie Benz, when he's on the ice, like he's plays competitive hockey at his best. And I've heard stories about him being a decent guy and all that. You know, I mean, he, and he's a local boy from the island and everything. I know a lot of people that know him and, and love him and love the family and all that. But there have been a lot of moments of immaturity from him off the ice in terms of the things he said, how he's acted, yes. how he's behaved. And let's not forget, the Sedins, yes. it also wasn't too long ago mm-hmm. that the CEO of that organization ripped into the poor leadership and professionalism of players like Jamie Benn. Yeah. 
So it's really not that surprising. Yeah, yes, I mean, I was aghast that it happened, right? Yeah. You watch like, oh my god, and yeah, two games is completely justified, and and you're and I'm happy that Mark Stone's okay after getting cross checked yes. in the neck. I mean, more than anything, right? So I mean, you're happy about that, and two games more than justified. But I wasn't surprised that it was Jamie Ben doing something immature. That's fair. Um, with with the way that his career has been, and some of the things he's done, I I, I totally get that. Now, like Jamie Ben. Comeback year. Good for him. 78 points in 82 games. Didn't think he would ever be anywhere close to a point-of-game guy again and has made himself or made himself relevant, but it's been uh, also a good playoff for him. And then to have that moment last night, you come back home, the series is still possible for you to get back in it. Nobody's lost a series until you've lost a home game, and that's what happens in the first minute. Good riddance to Jamie Benn and the Dallas Stars as far as I'm concerned after that display last night. The other team, and I think the Florida Panthers are a lot more intriguing as a storyline here for a couple of reasons, Sat. At this point, I don't think Carolina's coming back. It would be a bit of a miracle with the way things have gone so far in this series, and why should we doubt Florida any longer after everything they've put together in the first three rounds of these Stanley Cup playoffs? But I guess, for me, there's a question of how much is Bobrovsky and how much is this tangible change to a team that bowed out pretty easily to the Tampa Bay Lightning in last year's playoff and had built itself a reputation of being an offense first team, and they definitely haven't looked like that in these playoff, even though they looked like it for much of the regular season as well. Yeah, and what I really find fascinating about this is the progression or the transformation, I'd say, yes. teams have to go through if they play differently in the regular season until they ultimately have success in the postseason. And, and I think the best example of this is really the Tampa Bay Lightning. It wasn't that long ago when they won the President's Trophy and were upset in the first round by the Columbus Blue Jackets. And one of the things the Tampa Bay Lightning did well in that season was controlled entries into the zone. Right, they were the best team in the league with controlled entries. They they held on to the puck and they did not really relinquish it all game. Essentially, right? Controlled exits, controlled entries. We're going to control the puck. We're going to pass it around. We're going to score goals on the power play, and we're just going to dominate you with puck possession. And our sheer skill and abilities is going to overwhelm you. And it led to a, a, a. It wasn't quite as historic as the Boston Bruins, but what at 117 points or whatever it was yeah. in the regular season that year, one of the better regular season teams we've seen in recent memory as well. And then you get to the playoffs, and what did Torts and the Blue Jackets decide to do? They decided to take away the one thing that team did well. Zone entries. Yeah, they said, you know what? We're not going to give you controlled entries. We're just going to take away the blue line. Mm-hmm. We're just going to force you to dump and chase. And they couldn't make that, that adjustment. And it wasn't natural to them. Yeah. When they tried, it was too late. They couldn't overcome it. What do we talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning now when we talk about them as a playoff team? They're a lot nastier. They really make it hard for you in space. They don't play like a flashy team. Mm-hmm. The quintessential playoff team, right? Yep. They'll grind you. They'll, they have skill. They'll beat you on the power play. They'll dump the puck in. They'll win around along the boards. That's how they play. And you look at transformation that Florida's gone through, and I think we, we've had so many wars about Florida mm-hmm. the last little bit, right, in terms of, hey, they've been a great team for a few years. How close are the Canucks? How far are the Canucks? You know, can anything happen? Yada, yada. All these narratives are going on. And I think the most intriguing one, especially to Vancouver, is the adjustments they've made as a team mm-hmm. 
what Paul Maurice has been preaching mm-hmm. and how a lot of what Paul Maurice is saying and doing is similar to what Rick Tockett has been talking about. So get the puck out of your own end real quick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> get the puck in to the offensive end when you can. Make the safe play. Manage the puck well. Win your board battles. Work hard. I mean, sounds like um, bringing a lunch pail to the hockey rink is what it sounds like. It does, right? And I, and I thought Mike Kelly, from uh, uh, who does work with Sports Logic and Sportsnet, great analyst and does a lot of uh, really interesting analytics work, too, with NHL Network. And he kind of went through how the team has played or how the Florida Panthers were playing last year compared to this year. And he had a great tweet about this on his Twitter account, too. And so in the regular season last year, the the, Tampa, the Florida Panthers were last in the league in mm-hmm. dumping the puck in often in the opposite zone. Last. Yeah. Dead last in a national hockey They league. did not want to dump the puck in. Controlled entries, right? Yeah. This year, their dumping rate went into 12th in the league. In the postseason, even higher. Right last year, they were 21st in just getting the puck out of their own zone. It was a lot about controlling the puck out of their own zone. Great in the regular season, mm-hmm. right? You hold on to it, you make a play, you get some help, and you know you you start beating teams like that. This year, they were fourth in the regular season. Yeah. Now they almost missed the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of that, I think, came down to their goaltending, and they had a lot of injuries too. So I think that really they were never like really truly healthy for much of the year. Ironically, they got healthy when the playoffs began. Yep. The best time to get healthy, essentially, Perfect right? Timing. Perfect timing, right? So they had all these things kind of go against them. But they changed how they played significantly. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're looking at what Vancouver wants to do, it's like, yeah, we want to control the puck out of our own zone, but we can't hold on to it too long. It's got to be quick. we got to be fast. you got to get the puck out of your own zone quickly. If a play is not there, you can dump it out. It's okay to dump it out, right? It's fine to make that play. Because in the playoffs, if you if you hold on to the puck an extra beat, Mm-hmm. You're not going to have time. No. Because teams close on you differently. They take that stuff away. You can't play that style in the postseason. You, you just can't play that way. No, you can't get cute with it either. No. That killed the That killed the Leafs against Florida. Yeah. Um, even Boston. You know, they got all of a sudden when Florida upped the tempo and they really started playing that dump-in style and we're going to get in hard on the forecheck, we're going to disrupt you, mm-hmm. getting your zone exits and all these different types of things. All of a sudden, Boston uncharacteristically started to turn the puck over quite a bit. And that flip the series after it looked like Boston was going to run away with it. So there is some like real tactical things that Florida has done here in order to get to where they are. None of this happens if Pittsburgh, you know, misses or beats Chicago and Florida can't make it to the postseason. Mm -hmm. None of this happens if Bobrovsky isn't running at this incredible clip where he's saved what, like 980 save percentage, whatever madness it is. Of course, like you can play defense as well as you want if your goalie's not going to make the saves on the on the shots you're giving up anyways. It's yes. not going to matter. So th- there's a combination of, yes, they're playing well defensively. They are making sure that they give Bobrovsky a chance on a lot of the looks that Carolina is getting or Toronto mm-hmm. was getting, but goalie's still got to make the save. And... Prior to the playoff starting, you couldn't really trust Bobrovsky to make those saves. The other thing, too, now playing with speed. I saw this, um, I think Jack Hahn was talking about. He's uh, used to be a coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs and does a lot of good things, works with players now, yeah. and uh, has a great Twitter account, Jack Hahn. But it was the speed in which Florida exits their own end. And not just the defenseman, but their forwards. Sam Reinhart, great at helping the puck get mm-hmm. out of his own end. Sam Bennett, yep. great and quick with getting the puck out of his own end. And what do we talk about all the time with the Canucks? 
even especially before Tockett showed up. Forwards don't help out at all no. in the breakouts. Especially their center. I mean, a lot of their centers were really focused on getting out of the zone quickly with the puck. Yeah. They're more focused about what to do when they get the puck to get it out of the zone than to what to do to support the play in their own zone. Exactly. And that's long been a problem. And Tockett has not made some kind of crazy switches. Mm-hmm. He's really just like tried to simplify the game. And we saw how much it turned around the Canucks at yeah. the end of the year in tangible ways. Like, is it going to translate to next year? Maybe not, because they're going to face a lot more difficult competition. Maybe it doesn't always translate as it did prior, like with the Brudro thing. But like he just simplified the game for everybody. And that made a massive, massive difference. Mm-hmm. And when you get that buy-in, you get that pulled together on the same rope, they are cliches, but they're cliches and stereotypes for a reason. Well, they are, right? And and I think I think there's a big difference between where your team is also progressing, where your team's at, right? And I think yes. these sometimes you have this conversation about a team that's let's say, for instance, um the Chicago Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, their coach is going to come in and try to teach the right things, but they're looking at it from like, we're so many years away from being good. We're, we're trying to build, bring guys along and see what we have. It's a different type of environment in terms yes. of what we're evaluating, how we're judging players and what we're trying to accomplish. If you're a team here that has a goal of being a playoff team, you've invested this much on the salary cap. Now you're this invested in your young star players. You're trying to be better and be good. And if you're trying to be better and be good and get to the postseason and do something in the postseason, you got to cut out the fat. Yeah. Not only from what you're trying to do from your roster management standpoint, which has clearly been difficult to do, right? And that's the bigger challenge. But in terms of how you play, if if you don't need it, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Maybe you get an extra point or two in the regular season. But if it's not going to help you in the playoffs, who cares? It doesn't matter. It does not matter anymore. And I think that's the right type of mentality to have. But I think from Vancouver's standpoint, getting that third center is going to be so integral. Because we can look at, you're right. The Florida Panthers, and I mean, you can make the argument, look at Vancouver's defense, right, and say, yeah, their defense, clearly you like what Florida has in terms of the depth, but the best player is Quinn Hughes. If you have Hironik and Hughes, and they can kind of be like Montour and Ekblad, and you figure the rest out in yeah. terms of, you know, having two guys and whatever, you can you can find a way to get through it and be similar to their defense, I think, if you find another guy and at least approximate that. But you got to find that third center. Yeah. Because that's the big difference. You just mentioned it. I mean, go through the three centers that the Florida Panthers have. You've got Barkov, you've got Bennett, and you've got Anton Lindell. Yeah, and Ryan Hart can play center if need be. Yeah, they have guys who are who are uh, who are uh, versatile in that standpoint. And Lundell's a really nice player. Lundell's a really good player. Uh, he probably had a better rookie year, but uh, for a, a young centerman, plays a really strong two way game. Yeah, and that's something the Canucks desperately need for their third line center. It's. Look, Florida is a better team. They have more. They have more depth. They've got more functional players in their bottom six. That's a, a word we're going to be using a lot this offseason for the Vancouver Canucks, functional, because they don't have a ton of functionality in their bottom six with their forward group. But here's the thing. There isn't a ton of players on this Florida roster that you would have said profile as strong defensive players strong team players and the like so what changed for them that they've been able to play in a much more strong or create a much stronger defensive environment even though you know you wouldn't call these 
defensive players or defensive minded or the highest like players with great defensive awareness. I mean, this is what it comes down to sat. Yes. Defense. Like it is a skill. It's more of a skill than people give it credit for, but also there's a large part of it that is effort and willing to do the job and not willing to take the chances make or take those risks on the ice that could put you in a bad spot. And I think and risk, Florida does so no. little of that risk taking in the playoffs. Oh, I mean, risk management essentially, right? And I yeah. think risk risk assessment or risk management. You know, and I think anybody who works in the corporate world may, may have a may know a thing or two about risk management and all those sort of things, right? But what it essentially comes down to is limiting your exposure to risk. Yeah. And same thing with hockey, especially you get into the postseason, the game changes. So, if you if you if you limit the variables as much as you can in a very unpredictable sport, your chances of winning or you controlling the outcome becomes far more likely. Hockey is such a difficult game to harness. Yeah. I mean, you can play, honestly, you can have the best team game of your season and lose a hockey game, right? You can play your best team game and then four bounces just somehow go against you. What are you going to do about it? It happens, right? And every chance you have just doesn't go in. But from a, hey, effort, we were on, on top of it, we were playing hard, we were you know, on top of our details, you can play your best game all year and lose. I don't think you can say that in any other sport, really. No. Um, it's, it's so... The way that hockey works, and, and especially in the playoffs, your risk management is almost everything. <laughs> it, it, that's what it comes down to, essentially, right? Like, you can go through almost every single goal in these playoffs, maybe outside of power play goals. Yeah. Like, if a goal is scored at 5-on-5, five five, it's because somebody somewhere made a mistake. Somebody effed up somewhere. You know, whether it's a turnover or a failed dump-in, a failed rim around. You know, like, there's just so many different ways that a mistake can happen that turns into a transition play or a mistake going back the other way. And it's something that Tockett had tried to... I mean, all of the Canucks coaches. Mm-hmm. Boudreaux... Like I got... All of the... Boudreaux said it. Green said it. There's things that we do that we just cannot do if we're going to have success. And this team wasn't learning those lessons. We'll see if Tockett has more success going into next year. Uh, This text, Bobrovsky is the only reason. Uh, He's not the only reason. He's the biggest reason. He's the main reason. He would be uh, the favorite for the Consmith. Yeah. Even as good as Matthew Kachuk has been, he's still the favorite for the Consmith. No question, right? Um, But uh, you don't get here just with goaltending. No. You don't. Um, there is a lot of data that goes into, and there's some great data writing as well on the types of chances that the Florida Panthers have been giving up. And so they, and we'll get into this a little bit with Woodley, but Florida's created a better environment for Bobrovsky to have success in as well. So that's really helped them. Uh, Matt on Twitter says uh, Florida's success is due to Kodak Black's power. (laughs) Yeah, man. Kodak Black. I don't know about that, but uh, it is a memory all Canucks fans will have of uh, a Florida Panthers game from recent memory. Uh, Tyler, where are all those receipts saying that moving to Maurice last offseason was a bad move for the Panthers? There was quite a few of them. Yeah, and, and I will say, I mean, Paul Maurice, I, I do think that there are moments he does get overrated. Yes. And... I think that he does wear out his, you know, it does certainly, there's a shelf life like anybody else too, but I wouldn't overrate what he's done, but I think it's really notable to see the difference. And like we compared it to Tampa, compared to teams that have had success in the playoffs, how they've played and the adjustments Florida has made on top of getting goaltending, you have to give the guy credit. Um, You'd have to, at at least at this point, 
for how he has been able to get this team going, but how much, again, like the, the margins are so small. How differently are we looking at the Florida Panthers season if they miss the playoffs? Well, I, compl- I mean, we don't, we're not talking about And they were this close to missing. The oh, playoffs. yeah. I mean, absolutely. All those things, you know, go hand in hand, but it's still about how you play. Yeah. Right. Like, and I think I think it's over. I think you can overrate Florida in terms of all they do. But if you just kind of let's just break it down through the reasons they're winning: goaltending mm-hmm. and their process. Yeah. And I think those are the things you can learn from, right? Like goaltending wise, I mean, it, it comes down to luck sometimes. Is your goalie hot or not? We've seen now Ottinger clearly doesn't have it this year, and and how challenging that's all all of a sudden become for the Dallas Stars. But how they're playing, and if you look at every team that has had success in the playoffs recently too, there are a lot of comparisons. I mean, even look at the, the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. Last year, they were dominant, but they were also a team that just didn't make mistakes. Yeah. The more mistakes you make, uh, the more risk you take, less games you win. It's uh, pretty simple when it comes to that formula. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, this, I like this text from Austin on Jamie Ben. Okay. And Ben blaming gra- gravity for falling on stone is like the Canucks blaming the salary cap for their cap troubles. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's there is fair. like I said. Anytime you know, I knew as soon as we talk Jamie Ben, there will be ben, Jamie Ben supporters coming out because I know. I mean, they're family, friends, and stuff that listen all the time. And I'm not saying these people are necessarily friends or family, but. Like I said, there's going to be some Jamie yep. Jamie Ben love. This one says, you guys are hilarious. You sit there and rip Jamie Ben for doing stupid stuff. And when JT does stupid stuff, you guys stand up and protect Miller. Well, I mean, we, um, we've criticized Miller for a lot of stuff that he's done. And there's a difference between criticizing and talking about body language on the ice and cross-checking somebody in the head, getting yourself a five-minute major in game three of a must-win hockey game, yeah. and then being suspended for the two games remaining. Like You're costing your team any chance of coming back in the series. There's a big difference between doing that and having some outbursts on the ice during the regular season, which, by the way, has been criticized and talked about quite a bit in this market. Just a little bit. Just a bit. You know, JT can take some criticism and did take some criticism for the Colin Delia thing and many other situations that played out over the course of the season. But uh, I don't think JT's ever been suspended. Uh, Certainly not in a playoff series like that. And as the captain of the Dallas stars in a must win game, and then not to be accountable for it after the game, shying away from answering questions from the media after you bow out in a Western conference final game three. It's a tough look, man. I don't, I don't know how, I don't care how you frame it. It is a really tough look on Jamie Ben coming up. Frank Valley is going to join us here on Canuck central. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, Chris and Duncan. Dan, uh, technically it's not a must-win 
game yeah. for Dallas last night. But I get your point. <laughs> Stupid move by JB14 off to Victoria for Caps versus Pacific. Hey, shout out. We got a little uh, local derby going on tonight in the uh, Canadian Championship, the Voyagers Cup. Yeah. We'll see if the Caps can actually beat uh, the uh, <laughs> the plucky CPL side from the island Pacific FC this time around. Uh, I'll, I'll refrain from further comments. <laughs> it's always uh, it's always fun. It's it's nice to have a local derby, and uh, there's going to be a couple of those now that uh, Vancouver yeah. FC is in town over in uh, Langley as well. So uh, good to see, good to see. I've heard great things about their uh, about their the, matches. Uh, the barn actually in Langford yeah. uh, on the island is actually really fun. That was fun too, yeah. and I've heard good things about um, Vancouver FC's yep. barn as well. And how much fun that is. And you know what? And apparently the season tickets doing a good job. Uh, yep. It's uh, it's good to see. So, yes, there is some still uh, local sports going on uh, through the summer, of course, and the Lions to come as well. It's uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Frank Saravalli is going to join us momentarily. But a lot going on around the league, Sat, as uh, the general manager carousel continues and we wonder how it's all going to shake out. We know Craig Conroy is the Calgary general manager. Kyle Dubas was in Pittsburgh today, spotted in Pittsburgh, spotted talking to Sidney Crosby, and the Maple Leafs have a vacancy as well. Joining us now from the Daily Faceoff, it is Frank Cervalli. He joins us weekly here on Canuck Central, and he is a presentation of Angry Otter Liquor. Thanks for this, Frank. How are you? Pretty good, guys. How are you? Uh, we're uh, we're we're doing pretty well as uh, kind of seeing these uh, Western and Eastern Conference final. I mean, not exactly the suspense that you would want if you're Gary Bettman, no. I would imagine. Well, I mean, just based on market size and buzz and everything else, to then have it play out like this, as lopsided as, as it's been for a conference final that started off with four consecutive OT games on both ends of the conferences like it's kind of been crazy to think that this is the result like had you given me a million tries to think that either one of these series would be short series I would have said you're absolutely crazy last week Mm -hmm. well and you know what and I was talking to Dan about this earlier it's really just been the series that have been uncompelling and really the game last night which was also still compelling because of all the nonsense by the fans and you know the whole Jamie Ben cross check on Mark Stone but yeah. 5 out of the we 6 games we had a 4OT game, game right? in one but series fi- like it's, it's five actually out, been okay yeah like the 5 out of 6 games have actually been good hockey games like really compelling mm-hmm. hockey games but they've all gone to one team essentially and that's what's ruined the series it's killed it and and now it's it's just amazing that we're even in this spot. Like even thinking about a team like the Panthers, I was speaking to uh, someone in Pittsburgh today, and they were saying, like, has it hit everyone yet that the Florida Panthers lost their way into the playoffs? Like if the Pens beat the Blackhawks in the last week of the regular season, we never speak of the Panthers again this year. Mm-hmm. Yep. We don't see the Sergei Bobrovsky uh, reformation project. You know, it's like uh, none and of everyone's this... waiting for the bottom to fall out. <laughs> yeah, I, I've said it a thousand times on the show in the last week. Like, I'm just waiting for Bobrovsky to show up. But it's uh, it's been goalie Bob. And you know what? Like, how I... scary is that from Carolina's perspective in the sense that like they could change up their entire approach. They could change their lines. They could, you know, change how they attack, really throw everything at 
the Florida Panthers tonight and still get swept. Yeah, because it's, of Bob, it, it's tough. And you know, I know they they're missing a couple of guys, but um, you know, we saw Florida do this to to Toronto too, and even to Boston towards the end of that series, right? I mean, it's. Bobrovsky is playing extremely well. Nobody's going to take that away from him, but I think Florida deserves some credit too here. They they were never really considered a defensive hockey team, but Maurice has got them buying in on the defensive side of the puck a little bit. He does, and um, they've just been smart. Like I think they've been incredibly opportunistic. I think they've been diligent in the way that they've attacked, and it's really like it's kind of been an amazing series in the sense too that like if you watch the game you're like who teleported me back to 2001 like <laughs> there's so much dump and chase from both teams like carolina does it pretty religiously as well it it almost like rocks you to sleep and you're waiting for someone to like get within the dots to make a play happen and it just it's it never happens yeah, and you know, we, we, it's funny you mentioned that because that's the discussion we were having in the first segment about the teams that have won the Stanley Cup recently. I mean, outside of Colorado still played that style a little bit, but with the Tampa Bay Lightning went from being this puck possessions team, right? Love zone entries, and that's what they couldn't, that's what Columbus solved about them that year. They took away the blue line. They couldn't dump and chase. They lost that series. And ever since then, they've become the proverbial kind of dump and chase playoff team that grinds you at 5-on-5 five five and, and wins on the, on the power play. It's almost like copying their template. It's bananas. I, I can't, I couldn't have imagined that that would be the case and necessarily be exactly successful right now. Frank Cervalli, our guest here on, uh, on Canuck central. So, uh, Kyle Dubas, uh, we see him in Pittsburgh today. The whole situation is kind of bonkers the way that it's gone mm-hmm. over the last little while. Um, what, what's your read? Like just how in is Dubas on this, uh, potential Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh opening? Well, I think what's really clear to me and, and a lot of other people that have been in touch with you know those close to the situation is that the truth of the matter is this is Kyle Dubas's job if he wants it. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be a shock to anyone, but what is shocked is that you know one week's time ago, you heard Kyle Dubas sitting there saying at the podium in Toronto, you won't see me working in hockey again next year. And not to say that that's the case, and I think sort of everything got thrown out the window once he was hit in the face with a shovel by Brendan Shanahan last Friday. But this idea that he might jump back in again, I think is more so surprising given that this is the situation that he's looking at. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the perfect opportunity to ask for a seven-year deal. Yeah. Or maybe he sees some sort of avenue to be involved with Fenway Sports Group with their Liverpool club or whatever it may be. He's a huge soccer fan. Um, could he be some kind of dir- you know director of strategy or president of strategy? Who knows? Maybe there's some kind of bigger play here than just hockey. My only point is when you consider all of the you know, 32, 31 other potential opportunities for Kyle Dubas, I'd have Pittsburgh ranked sort of near the very bottom in terms of interest level just because of all the surgery that's going to need to take place over the next number of years because this team's competitive window, their best days are behind them by a long shot. Like, they've got four years or five years of just tear it down Mm -hmm. after this. So to think that this is going to be the job that he jumps into, I still find it to be a little bit far-fetched, but, like, 
Kyle Dubas being spotted at the Pittsburgh Penguins practice facility on a Tuesday night after dinner and, and casually engaged in conversation with Sidney Crosby, which I've been able to confirm is accurate. That that's kind of like, Whoa, where'd that like, wow. Okay. So this is where we're heading. Well, you know what? It is surprising, right? But okay. Let let me walk through some things that happened right now. I just want to get your thoughts on this. So, Mm -hmm. Shanahan said that Dubas was going to call him to give him an answer. Dubas did not call him to give an answer. He sent an email to give him an answer. Well, was a fax machine unavailable? Uh, emailing somebody when you're supposed to call him? Nonetheless, he emails instead of calling him. We do know, like Elliot Friedman mentioned, that uh, with his uh, that in negotiations with, with the t- owners of the Maple Leafs, which is part of the company we work for, obviously, that they don't like last-minute surprises. That they don't like if you've been talking parameters that all of a sudden last minute you come up with a, with a bigger number. If that's actually what happened, wouldn't Dubas also know that? Did Dubas yeah. and Dubas also sp- spoke and set things up like you mentioned? Like, hey, I'm not going to leave here unless uh, I'm not going somewhere else. Like, I want to be here. My, it's been tough on my family. Did he set it up to essentially get fired? Like, did he dare the Leafs to fire him? Is that is that a fair question to ask here? I no, I think it's not only fair. I think it's the right question to ask because. This is also, you, you have to remember that this didn't all just play out in a five-day period of time. This actually started way back in March after the trade deadline right. when, when Brendan Shanahan made it abundantly clear to Kyle Dubas and his camp then that they were ready to talk extension and ready to grant one and that it was a five-year deal that they were talking about. So if you slow play the entire thing and you change course in the way that he did and you defy sort of what your boss's asks or requests were even in something as simple as talking to the media and then you go off script you open yourself up for that and to think that Kyle Dubas is silly enough to like think that that isn't the case or or would be um I think the, the the different way to frame it would be sort of brave enough to do it. Like that's sort of like he knew exactly what he was getting himself into. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. And this wasn't just a money thing. Like this was an ask to, you know, if not have Brendan Shanahan completely removed and, and be autonomous in, in hockey operations decisions to at least as I think the way Elliot – you know, sort of framed it too. And in the same 32 thoughts that you're referencing to have an equal seat at the table, like that's, that was part of it. And I I believe and, and wholeheartedly believe from the people that were in the room then that it goes back to, you know, at least a year plus at the trade deadline with different transactions that were blocked that I, I think he just really wanted to have his own, you know, ability to, to shape that team the way that he specifically wanted to see fit without having to jump through hoops. There's always uh, there's always a bigger story in Canadian NHL front offices, eh? It's yeah. <laughs> just never seems to, well, to, to, think, to not be interesting. Well, I was going to say, here's the thing. To think that Brendan Shanahan could come out and sort of explain it the way that he did on Friday and then – everyone sit back and say, Oh yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Good. Let's move on. Let's just talk GM candidates. Like <laughs> that was never going to be the case. No. Uh, but Shanahan, like it was clear, like you don't say that unless you're upset about the situation, but of course, yeah. cause that's the other calculus. I think that Kyle Dubas got wrong was that he just, he just assumed that if it, if it did all go to crap and they, they gassed him, 
that essentially the statement would be what we see from every team is like mutually agreed to part ways. Yeah. And instead it was like, no, 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 this wasn't mutual. We made the decision. And not only that, but we're going to come out after this with a press conference and we are going to basically run your underwear up a flagpole. You know, I mean, and that's what stands out to me. I keep thinking about this, right? And I keep getting hung up on the email stuff and everything, right? It's like, when do you email somebody that you talk to, like on the phone and you text with to make to make a big decision? Yeah. You just don't do that. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, would you ever email? I wouldn't even email my dinner order in. <laughs> do you end a long relationship with a text message? Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, do you know. email I, dinner I plans? Have at some point yeah. in yeah. my life. Like, I, <laughs> yes. I'm not ending my, uh, you know, whatever so kyle dubas was making two and a half million bucks last year so let's just ballpark what we think let's say we know it was a five-year offer let's say it was for 20 million bucks yeah like sorry like i'm not like handling that by email but i i don't think it really matters like i think when you challenge when you when you want to be the king and you try to kill the king like you better be ready yeah and it just it wasn't going in his favor, so I don't know that the rest the rest of it's all just window dressing. Yeah. So uh, so where do the Leafs go from from here? Uh, Brad for living seems to be the the favorite. Is there any other names on the board right now? Yeah, I think there's going to be a few that you know get some intrigue and interest. I I think that Brad Tree Living though kind of stands out to me as the the guy that makes so much sense based on the experience factor that. Brendan Shanahan mentioned ability and to handle the message and work in a Canadian market, even though Calgary is really kind of quite tame and small compared to Toronto. Um, you know, he checks a lot of boxes to me. The one thing that he doesn't have is the playoff success. Like in a longer run and tenure of, of nine years in Calgary, Brad tree living won one additional round than Kyle Dubas, which kind of really gives you some perspective. Uh, But when you think about someone that has the ability to swing big, someone that has, you know, really strong connections around the league and is well-respected, handles himself, you know, well in public, I think those things all matter. Um, And I think being a really good communicator matters as well. And so that was one thing, like you saw it in the eyes of John Bean and, um, Don Maloney, as the Flames held their press conference, basically announcing that Brad Tree Living was leaving, they had tears in their eyes. So that gives you some kind of indication, too, of, of what it's like to work with him and, uh, and around him. Um, I just wonder, like, how tightly will Brendan Shanahan grip the experience factor? Like, mm-hmm. does that actually matter? Not saying it doesn't. It can be helpful. They're facing a lot of really critical decisions. But, like, are you willing to think outside the box a little bit? Are you willing to go after the sort of next guy that could be the next Kyle Dubas or whoever it might be? Like, would you consider a Matthew Darsh? Would you say because he's in, in he doesn't have actual GM experience that he doesn't know what he's doing or wouldn't be able to do it? I'm just throwing a name out there that, yeah. you know – I'm just I'm curious to see how closely they will stick to that. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And and on, you know, the Pittsburgh angle of things and you know, there's a big article in the Athletic um about what uh, with Rossi and and such about what happened with Hextall behind the scenes and and what the Fenway group wanted and maybe some of, you know, Hextall not being prepared to answer some of these questions and everything. 
what's been going on there? Like, has it been as dysfunctional as it's been made out to be? Or does it almost seem convenient to blame Hextall on the previous regime for all the things that happened there? No, I think it's actually been more dysfunctional than that story even made it sound like. Mm. Like, it was... I think that story was actually rather tame compared to some of the stories that I've heard from in there. Like, it was a four-alarm fire there on a daily basis. And when you see uh, the reaction from... I don't want to say the reaction from the team, but like you see a huge slump in Sidney Crosby's play. Like obviously he's a, a pro and has been around long enough, but when you have things like that hanging around your organization on a daily basis, I can't help but think that it actually seeps into the player's play itself. And I think sometimes being in Vancouver, you guys have seen a little bit of that. Like how much does, you know, just the bump from the positivity that Bruce Boudreau had how much did that change things? Like, are the players actually different or is, you know, the system's obviously a little different, but how much of it is just confidence and feeling good about what you're doing. And you saw some of that again, Rick Tockett. Like, I just think that that has a way of impacting teams in a real way that that's a big reason why they're not in the playoffs and, and weren't able to, to go on a run and that streak ends. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, it's uh, not an easy job to take over with uh, their situation, uh, the age of their core and where it stands. And the term on those contracts. Yes. Um, it was surprising when they brought I mean, it, all three it makes back. the Canucks but... cap situation and the gymnastics required. It makes that look tame. Yeah. Uh, Ron Hextall just needed to make like at least one hard decision, and he didn't make any last summer. So um, that's, uh, that's a tough spot that Pittsburgh finds themselves in. Um, as as did for- you guys notice that Cap Friendly flipped over their yes their yes. page and the Vancouver Canucks right at the top in the red baby yes uh, they I'm are- not cheering I'm just kind of like <laughs> I saw the memes on social media and I was like wow that was that's something so there's one team with negative cap space going into the summer and it is yes the the Vancouver Canucks. Um, they do have an out. They do have some LTIR candidates. They do. So. Uh, that's yeah. that is true. And we're also starting to hear more stories about just how creative the Canucks might get <laughs> to move some some money off the books. You know, uh, Scott Powers uh, was was talking about uh, Chicago flipping their 19th overall pick for Vancouver's 11th and maybe taking one of those bad contracts. I mean. Is, is that the creativity Patrick Alvine is going to need to have in order to, to move some money off the books? I think so. I mean, that Chicago kind of seemed like one team that really stood out to me that if you're going to make a deal, that's one you'd try and target. Like they have 41 million bucks committed to next year's cap. Yeah. They got yeah, to get to the gonna floor. They're going to spend a little bit <laughs> yeah. to give Connor Bedard a little bit of support, but it's going to be like one year deals to try and convince someone to come play with him. We're not talking like mega term, mega dollars. They're going to have tons of flexibility and, I don't know. Maybe you add a player like a Connor Garland to your top six in in Chicago, and he becomes a flippable asset at some yeah. point if you're willing to retain half. Like Chicago had already shown that they're willing to retain half on players with term because they can, and because it juiced the return. And I mean, would you get to? A, could you get into a situation where Vancouver can just get rid of these guys for free? Could they? Could they get to a spot where a team like Chicago just says, you know what? Like we'll swap a fourth round pick. Or, like, the Canucks will give up a third, they'll get a fourth back or something. And then, could it get that simple at some stage, or is that almost too wishful thinking for Vancouver? I think it's wishful thinking. I think the truth is, whatever the Canucks are going to decide to do, it's probably going to be pretty expensive. 
Yeah, and uh, it's not getting pretty for Vancouver. No, it's not. And, and before we let you go, just, just on that, like, for instance, the one guy I wonder about is Myers, right? And it doesn't help you right now, but once that bonus gets paid, to a team like Chicago, for instance, right? Let's say in September even, that's a $6 million cap hit, only $1 million salary. That means you get to the cap floor by by five artificial million, right? That are, That isn't there. They can easily flip that at the deadline, probably if they retain half and get a second or a third back for him. Is that a player that once you get there, a team like, say, Chicago or a team like, say, Arizona looks at it and says, we'll take that guy for free or a late round draft pick and we'll wait, you know, three, four months and then flip that for a higher pick? What about a team that you can cook a deal with now, essentially in July, June or July, that you then just say, look, this is the deal. We're just going to wait until after the signing bonus is paid in September and then we'll send them to you. Like I'm thinking mm-hmm. more along yeah. the lines of a contending type team, maybe not a a, Stan- a true Stanley Cup contender, but a, a playoff team or one that believes they are. That's saying, "Hey, we know we need to bolster our defense. We don't really want to pay the full freight, and we'd rather Vancouver do that, and we're willing to pay a premium on the return in order to do so." But I- at least the Canucks would be sitting there knowing that they have uh, an escape you know, hatch or, or exit to go down if, you know, they can't do anything else. Um, always appreciate the time, Frank. It's uh, it's uh, never never a dull moment, especially when we get to watch the Arizona Coyotes admin <laughs> on Twitter. It's uh, it's, been a, it's, it's been a good week. That's another mind-blowing thing this week. <laughs> like, I can't even believe that's a thing. <laughs> I wish we had more. This is an NHL team. It's not the Junior B franchise. <laughs> Um, but there's, I've seen junior B franchises run better. I played for one. (laughs) (laughs) Frank, we appreciate the time. Thanks. Have a good one guys. Uh, there is uh, Frank Saravalli, a, uh, weekly contributor here on Canuck central. And he is presented by angry otter liquor, your game day destination. Visit their 28 locations from Vancouver to Kamloops. I I will say, um, I I really enjoy the Arizona coyotes Twitter. Mm-hmm. Because they've just leaned into what they are. It's like, hey, we're we're an absolute gong show, so we're just gonna lean into it. Yeah. At least our Twitter is gonna be completely transparent about what they are. You know, uh, every like <laughs> any wrestler who I've read their like background. I, I used to be really big into like reading, but into like Stone Cold Steve Austin, oh, or yeah. The Rock, Eddie Guerrero, like some of those guys that I grew up watching, and they all said the same thing. The character that I found, the gimmick that worked for me, was just an over-exaggerated version of myself. Exactly. And that's what the Arizona Coyotes are. Yeah, just exact. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like they say in radio, right? It's like, don't be something you can't be. Yes. Just be who you are and just add a little extra to your personality. Extra 5%, 10%, whatever. Give it the extra. Yeah. That's what the uh, Arizona Coyotes are. Like, Reach is like this in real life. It's true. Very much so. Sometimes. (laughs) Uh, It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central.